The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. This is our continuing series on emotional intelligence. Now, one of the things that I can tell you from my own practice and from watching leaders, people who are more comfortable with expressing emotions and responding to other people's emotions tend to be very much more effective, more believable, and more trusted. Now, one of the core aspects of developing emotional intelligence involves being able to manage your own emotions and stress levels particularly emotions in times of stress. And that's the focus of our show today. So with me today is Dina Michelli. Dina is an executive coach and a facilitator who specializes in both diagnosing, developing, and deploying senior executive talent. She's written several books, but most importantly for today's conversation, her research and her practice really focuses on helping executives learn to manage stress and become more resilient, in effect, to manage emotions, particularly staying calm under uncertainty. So, Dina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to be with you. Glad to have you here and looking forward to your comments. So let's start at the top. Let's talk about stress for a minute. I, my clients are certainly talking about stress more than I have ever heard them talk about. And I know a couple of very senior, incredibly successful people who have stepped away from a role because the stress just got to be too much. So do you think the stress levels are higher today than ever before? And if so, why? Well, I think that the um, the amount and the frequency and the speed of information is so great that uh, top executives are having to make decisions extraordinarily rapidly. And, of course, everything's so visible. So they're going to be held accountable um, by many people. And, um, you know, it's very stressful when you anticipate the consequence of making a, a powerful decision in such a visible arena. So, yes, nobody is immune from stress, and, and particularly people in the very visible arena are not immune from stress either. Well, there's been a lot of discussion about the regulatory environment, both in the U.S. and as well as in Europe and other places as well, but I'll stay focused at the moment in the U.S. and European market. I know that there are increasing regulations in increasing accountability for executives to show that they have done all the right things to make sure that nothing went wrong on their watch. Do you think that's expanding stress as well? 
Well, indeed. I mean, if you're held accountable for something over which you have limited control, then that is one of the most uh, stressful circumstances to find yourself in um, because you're not able to make the decisions. Perhaps you may be subject to other people's decision-making processes and they may not be as efficient or as effective or as elegant as your own. Your head is on the block. So I think that is another multiplying factor in stress levels in top executives for sure. So that would mean the global modern matrix organization where I've got multiple bosses, where there's huge interdependencies between what I'm accountable to deliver and what somebody else has to do a part of, and I've got to influence without authority are all increasing our stress levels. Okay, now I know there's been some recent research about, we've known for years that stress is harmful, but there's been some recent research that says not all kinds of stress are harmful. And it seems to be that there are productive types of stress. Um, mostly, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to agree with you. There are, there are um, areas where stress is helpful. Um, to be uh, challenged and stretched can help you learn and grow and find talents you didn't know you had before. So um, these uh, stretch zones, as they're called, are very productive and, and, and can help you um, achieve ambitions and aspirations that you didn't know you could achieve. However, there's also the um, stress zone, which comes very quickly after the stretch zone, where you might find yourself um, unable to respond and react in the way that you choose. Um, And that can be less healthy. Okay, and I know some people have said that if you feel like it's harmful, then it becomes harmful. But if you feel like it's constructive, then it's not a problem. Do you find the same? Well, Yes, and, and, and to an extent, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I do believe that we self-talk and uh, self-teach ourselves to uh, respond in the way that we think we should. So if we think something is um, overly stressful and we tell ourselves that, then we will act as if that's the truth. Um, if we tell ourselves we're learning good things and it's great to be tested, then we might enter the uh, situation with much more positivity and creativity. So, you know, be careful what you think because that's what you get. And, um, and to have a positive mind frame can be really helpful in managing stress levels. Okay, now I want to talk about tactics for managing stress. But before I go there, um, just tell us how do you, when you're working with senior talent, identify that the stress levels have gotten a little too high? Do you have a particular set of watch-outs? Well, I'm coaching senior executives, so I'm able to ask them what their experience is. And very often they have a sense of being overwhelmed They perhaps don't um, access their knowledge and experience as readily as they might otherwise do. Um, They may have physical symptoms, um, palpitations, um, rapid breathing, rapid heart rate, things like that. Um, And they may have a sense of inadequacy. You know, they may say, actually, I'm not coping very well. And uh, this is uh, a vicious circle, which is taking me further and further away from my own capability. So in conversation with um, top executives, they're very good at diagnosing themselves, actually. Um, But they do tend to keep the conversations in um, for private situations where they're not going to uh, be exposed or made to feel overly vulnerable. So these are often private conversations. They wouldn't be held in public. 
Well, and of course not, especially if you're leading a group. You don't want the group to recognize just how badly stressed you are. They'll lose confidence in you. So you have to be careful what you say about that. All right, so let's go on to tactics. What can you do with people to teach them to manage the stress levels and be more effective? Well, I think one of the interesting things is uh, to think about what story you're telling yourself. Because if you're telling yourself a story of exaggeration and catastrophization, then the stakes are very much higher and it's harder and harder to manage your equanimity. So I think getting things uh, into proportion is a good start. You know, what really is going on? Um, and once you understand that, you can diminish the extent of the challenge that you uh, are facing. And you might be able to um, bring your heart rate down, breathe more gently and um, access more of your knowledge and and understanding. So I think getting a sense of proportion uh, by minimizing the the drama of the story is is something that's quite helpful to do as a first step. The other thing I think is quite helpful is to look forward to a time where you know you're going to be in a pleasurable place. So you might be thinking about the weekend when you're having a picnic with your family or going to the theater or or having some downtime that you're really looking forward to. So then you can think, well, by then, I will have got through this moment. And it helps you minimize the impact of the moment. So I think by looking forward, you again diminish the impact of what's going on for you now. There are other tools and techniques like breathing deeply. And I know that's a a standard um, approach to managing stress, but it really does work. If you calm your breathing, give yourself a bit of space where you can um, get a sense of proportion, uh, get refreshed, have a glass of water, put yourself in an environment that's benign, and that, again, will help you manage your stress. However, if it's chronic stress, it's not so easy, and then it may be uh, that you need a more serious intervention to help you, um, you know, find find your your uh, equanimity again. All right, so let's go back to that notion about the story that you're telling yourself, and I often call this catastrophic thinking. Yes. So, and you say get it back into proportion. Now, when I watch people. We can see from the outside that they've painted the thing in this dramatic doom and gloom drama, and the rest of us are looking at it going, well, yeah, it could be bad, but it's not that bad. So how do you help people bring the story back into proportion? Well, I think one of the ways you can help somebody is to ask questions about the story, you know, um, uh, how how did you get to that story? What is the basis for that story? Uh, when have you experienced this before? Uh, what is really going on? So by adopting a sort of coaching approach, you can actually help them rethink and reframe what's going on for them. You might also share some stories of your own so that they don't feel as if they're on their own in their drama um, and that it's something that other people have coped with well and they may learn some things from other people's experiences. But I do think going alongside somebody with a sympathetic ear and some good questions can be really helpful um, in getting a, a sense of proportion and getting them back on onto uh, opera- operational territory. Okay, so now that sounds like something that the average person can do. It sounds like something a manager can do with an employee that's kind of overly stressed, as well as what a coach would typically do with someone that they're working with. 
Yes, that's right. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. It's it's an empathic way of engaging with somebody who's going through a stressful period, and there may be a reason. You know, if they may they may be catastrophizing because they actually don't want to in, uh, to encounter a particular experience. So to have a little sensitivity about you know where they're prepared to go and what price they are prepared to pay for their uh, learning or, or or their achievement is 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 probably helpful. Okay. All right. So we have one, which is to monitor. So if I'm monitoring my own stress levels and I'm doing it on my own, one tactic is I pay attention to the story I'm telling myself about what's going on. The more doom and gloom and more drama I have painted, the more stressed I'm going to be. If I can tell a story that says, um, yes, this could go awry, but it won't be the end of the world. I can see a way through it. We'll work it out. I'm going to feel less stressed. So I'll get a more positive framework. I can do that for myself. I can do that for people who report to me. I can do that for anyone around me just by asking good questions and by being empathetic. All right, so let's turn to the second one you said, that you can look forward to a pleasurable time and that, you know, imagine that I'm going to get through this and something good is going to happen. Why does that help reduce stress? Well, I think it reminds you that everything is not um, as bad as it feels. I think when you're in a stressful situation, it feels all-consuming, and you can't see beyond it. Um, and once you get stuck in that cycle, it kind of undermines your ability to, to get out of it again. So um, if you're looking forward to something nice, um, then it reminds you that actually this isn't the only thing that you're experiencing in your life. There are other things that will refresh and replenish you uh, on your path and not so very far away. So again, it kind of gives you a bit of a reality check and um, allows you to think, okay, I can breathe deeply. I can look forward to something. It lightens your aspect. It gives you a bit of positivity, a bit of joy, a bit of hope, and that, that helps to... Um, uh, to, to prevent the, the, the negative downward spiral because you're getting more positivity into the equation. And uh, so by looking forward, you, you, you know, you can really pull yourself out of that, uh, that, si- that, that cycle. Okay, now this reminds me of Barbara Fredericks- Fredrickson's work. There have been others, but it's Barbara's work that I know the best on positivity that says that the more positive emotions I experience, not that I don't experience negative ones, but the more positive ones I'm going to experience relative to the negative, the more effective I'm going to be, creative, productive, less stressed, etc. Her argument is that all you need to do is to focus on some of the positives rather than just put all your energy on the negatives. Do you agree with that finding? Absolutely. And and that's not to deny um, some of the perhaps more negative areas that you might be experiencing, because to deny information that might be relevant is, is, is not helpful either. But I think if you, if you look for the positive, um, you will change your disposition and your mindset will be expecting, you know, will be set towards expecting something much better than, than perhaps your, your, um, your worst fears. So yes, absolutely. I think it's very helpful to do that. As long as you don't go into denial and pretend that, uh, and, and screen out important information, that would be my only qualification. Right, and her research would would um, confirm that because once you put on rosy-colored glasses and think that everything is perfect, then you are missing important information and you're kidding yourself, and that actually backfires. I know um, with a couple of clients that have just been in a terrible negative cycle, I have used the three positive things exercises, and I will just have them send me an email at the end of the day that says, give me three concrete, specific things that happened today at work that were good. 
I don't care how small they are, just think about three positive things. And I've found that that often helps people get through a rough patch. Indeed. I think, yes, I'm, I'm agreeing with you totally. To, to um, mine the territory for positivity is, is, is very helpful, absolutely. Okay, great. Now, the last thing you said is this breathing deeply. And we've been teaching this as a stress technique for a really, really long time. Why do you think breathing deeply helps? Well, it slows you down a little bit. I mean, when we breathe um, through our anxiety, we're breathing very rapidly and we're not oxygenating our blood properly. Um, and it sort of quivers in your, in your belly. And, and, and that's a very difficult place to, to um, experience life. So breathing deeply allows you to pull in the oxygen, to slow your heart rate down, uh, to fill your lungs, to, to, to just calm yourself sufficiently to get a different um, uh, perspective view on what's going on. So it's, it, it's a tried and tested technique. It's very, very simple and it's effective. It's, it's a great tool to have. All right. So, Dina, if I summarize sort of where we are today, that stress levels are higher than ever. Part of that is because we have increased accountability with limited control between regulation, matrix organization, influence without authority, speed amount of information. That with those increased levels of stress, we need to to find tactics that keep us out of the danger zone on stress and in the productive area. And those three, at least according to you, are to monitor the story that I tell myself so that it's not a catastrophe, but I can get a sense of proportion, that I'm looking forward to something positive at the end of it so that I know that this time will pass, and looking for positives in the day-to-day as well, so mine the territory for positives. And the third one is breathing deeply just to oxygenate the blood, to slow the heart rate, and again, I think that helps bring back a sense of proportion. Sounds pretty straightforward. Yes, I think it is straightforward. And, and again, I would, I would qualify, you know, not to go into denial, but just, uh, just to get a sense of, of reality through, through all of those techniques. So there's a great article, a Harvard Business Review article by Diana L. Kutu on how resilient works and the first thing is a staunch acceptance of reality so i think you know we do have to um, look at what's happening and try not to go into denial otherwise we will uh, sabotage our ability to manage our stress levels okay so it's neither denial nor catastrophe it's a realistic look at the environment recognizing the positives for what positives are there and the negatives for what negatives are there that's absolutely right yes yes i agree completely Fabulous. So we're going to take a break. Um, when we come back, so I've been talking with Dina Michelli. Uh, Dina is an executive coach and facilitator who specializes in helping develop and deploy senior executive talent, the author of several books, lots of research, and great deal of practice on ran- managing stress and resilience. Now, when we come back, I want to talk about a very peculiar word called vulnerability and its role in stress. Now, that sounds unusual for leadership, but stay tuned. I think it'll be worth it. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book, 
or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Dina Michelli. Dina is an executive coach and facilitator who helps develop and deploy senior-level talent. And particularly, her research has been around stress and resilience. We've been talking about emotions and about managing your stress and three tactics that are really useful in the moment helping reduce the experience of unproductive stress. Now, I want to turn to a different kind of word, and I want to use a word that makes a lot of people, quite honestly, stressed, and I want to talk about vulnerability. Now, on the one hand, we believe that you can't show vulnerability, that if I want people to follow me, I need to be confident, I need to be self-assured, no vulnerability. But on the other hand, work by Brene Brown, Dina, and others would imply that vulnerability is actually a key to creating followership. So, Dina, tell us about your view and why. Well, if we look at vulnerability, um, Brene Brown defines it as the willingness to do something when there are no guarantees. And I think when we display our willingness to do something, people very often connect with us. And, um, and, uh, we can get a greater level of followership through, through, uh, demonstrating our vulnerability. So that's, that's where, where, um, I come from. It's, it's about being fully authentic, saying what you mean, meaning what you say, not hiding behind a mask or having any kind of side or agenda to your communication, but genuinely conveying who you are, what you want, and why you want it. Okay, so fully authentic, saying what you mean, um, not hiding behind a mask, um, tell, saying what you want. In other words, a bit of transparency with people. Indeed, transparency is another very good word for vulnerability. Again, it, 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 it doesn't hide the person behind the, the communication. Okay. All right, now what about this notion of being able to admit mistakes? Do you think that's a good thing? I didn't get it right, I was wrong. Um, I think it's a good thing. And again, I, I would add a drop of caution. Um, you might not want to broadcast your mistakes, particularly if you're in a senior position where people might lose trust in you. Um, if you admit to too many uh, mistakes that, that they may be uh, affected by, um, perhaps their, their jobs might be at at risk if, if you know if you're not performing well and, and if you admit these mistakes then they may they may not trust you. Um, but I do think it's okay to admit non-business critical mistakes and, and the better ones perhaps are around personality and behavior um, like how you feel. 
So I made a mistake then. I didn't perhaps say what I should have said or perhaps I wasn't empathic enough. So the behavioral mistakes are much more forgivable much more forgivable, um, but perhaps business-critical mistakes, you might be a little more guarded about how you uh, confess to those. Okay, so if we got the strategy wrong, then we have to be cautious about how we say we got the strategy wrong. But if I didn't handle that relationship, that conversation, the feedback as smoothly as I'd like to, those are the kind of mistakes that are easier to admit in your point of view. All right, so what's the connection between vulnerability and stress? Well, I think sometimes uh, we feel that we have to display um, uh, high levels of resilience and resistance, uh, so we put a big agenda on ourselves. And um, vulnerability perhaps is a way of dispelling some of those uh, stressors, um, because if we're going to um, uh, exhibit more of an authentic uh, persona, then we don't have to live up to those uh, harsh realities that we, we set ourselves. So I think vulnerability and stress do come together. One perhaps is the antidote of the other in certain instances. Okay, so the ability to say, okay, I may not know how this is going to go. There's no guarantees on this one. We're going to give it a go. We'll give it our best shot. Be confident in that and not put such exceeding demands that you have to have everything perfect on it can actually reduce levels of stress. Makes sense Indeed, to me. And it, it, I was just going to say it allows you to um, to join forces with other people and to tap their competence and capability because it becomes a much more collegiate affair. Um, and so you're sharing a little bit of the uh, challenge and you're perhaps tapping other people's innovative capabilities, their creativity. Um, they, they, may, they may feel much more attached and, and bonded to you and your enterprise. So I think it's a great equalizer that, that uh, can be very creative and productive. All right. So help me understand also, because I think it's hard for people to get a sense of vulnerability. I happen to agree with you that showing a bit of vulnerability actually helps draw people to you. They see you as more human. They see you as someone they can work with. But you started this by saying you think it helps create followership. Can you say more about that? Well, I think um, people can relate to you. Most of us have our vulnerabilities, and we try and um, manage them as best we can. And uh, very many of us have fantasies about the lack of vulnerability that those in senior positions have. Um, So I think when people see the senior leaders demonstrating that they're human and that they also share vulnerabilities with their teams, uh, their followers, then it helps build that connection and it helps build a concerted effort rather than um, people looking to one person and putting all their hope in in, in their um, alleged robust uh, and resilient personality. Very interesting. Now, how do you reconcile this ability to show vulnerability? How do you balance it, I think, between um, I want to show some vulnerability, but I have to appear leader-like, which is confident, assertive, charge ahead, here's the way? Well, I mean, it's interesting you describe leadership in that way, and perhaps I might might alter that description of leadership – um, and say it's more about um, aligning people's um, aspirations and tapping into their motivations in order to achieve um, a, a task. So uh, 
I don't think a leader necessarily has to be, um, you know, the, the font of all wisdom or demonstrate uh, strength and uh, authority. Uh, sometimes that removes the leader from the teams that they're working with and can create a kind of schism, which is very difficult to to bridge. Um, and after a while, people get demotivated by that because they're not feeling that they can put their best efforts into the um, in, into the uh, reaching the goal. So, um, you know, I think leadership is much soft. I, I would describe leadership as a, as a much softer um, set of characteristics that actually invites other people's capability into the into the fold and 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 makes connections with them. Um, and of course, Brené Brown talks about um, the ability to feel connected. Um, it, it helps us understand why we're here. It gives us meaning and purpose through connection. So I think if a leader can can connect through demonstrating his or her vulnerabilities, his or her humanity, then you have a much richer cocktail with which to achieve things. Okay. I happen to to agree with you, by the way, just for the record. In fact, that's part of the premise of the show, to say that getting out of your comfort zone is no longer being the expert with all the answers, but being able to guide and direct people in a way that helps them discover the answers when you need their expertise and you don't don't know as well. All right. So can you give me an example? Have you ever worked with a leader to help the leader show more vulnerability and how did you do that and how did it turn out and of course without real names please yes of course my um, confidentiality agrees uh, agreements uh, prevent naming people but I can tell you more perhaps in the abstract um, that when I'm working with people who recognize that uh, sometimes they've had 360 degree feedback which suggests that they don't enjoy the connections that they think they have um, and so they're interested in what they can do to to create those um, contacts and, and build those bridges and one of the ways that I think is really helpful is to really listen to others. Um, sometimes you can listen empathically because you share a similar experience. Sometimes you can listen with curiosity. And when you're listening with curiosity, you're very much other focused and less focused on yourself and your own agenda. So being curious about other people um, allows the leader to make those connections and to transform his or her teams or even organizations. It sounds like a trivial thing, but listening is so powerful. And one of my clients uh, called me the other day. I, I um, shared with him a, a, a listening model, which comes out of MIT, um, uh, and uh, he was applying this both at home and in his professional environment. And he rang me to say it has utterly transformed his working, um, you know, his working experience and the productivity of his team. Because instead of pulling um, pulling the team along, he was actually engaging with them, and and they were joining forces and feeling much more seen, feeling much more validated, feeling much more um, able to you know, to put their best efforts in. So it really did transform his his um, his team and, and, and his part of the organization. Okay, now I can't stop there. Can you explain the model to us? Well, I mean, it, 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 it was created by um, a researcher called uh, Otto Sharma, and Peter Senge, who many people know, joined forces with him to write a book called Presence, and there are two other authors uh, on the um, on the team as well, and what it broadly says is that if you listen acutely, you can engage with profound change, or you can uh, stimulate profound change. And um, he has a four 
level listening model. The first level is when you listen from the center of your own world. And when you're listening from the center of your own world, what you're doing is you're screening out anything that you don't happen to agree with already. So you're not really listening. You're filtering out um, new and novel information, which can leave you incredibly vulnerable because you're not actually doing anything more than you usually do. You're just, you know, maintaining your own status quo. Level two is listening for difference or being curious. And that's when you bracket your own values and beliefs, your own meaning-making framework, and you um, focus on somebody else's. So instead of saying, I don't happen to agree with you, you're wrong, you say, that's interesting. Tell me more about why you think that. And in doing that, in asking those questions, which are really coaching questions, you're allowing the other to express themselves more fully and you're bringing in new information, which otherwise you might not have. Level three is empathic listening when you put your feet, metaphorically speaking, into somebody else's shoes. And level four is, is um, more of a consulting um, technique where you abandon your agenda, your prejudices, your stereotypes, your intentions, and you're listening from a very, very clean place. Um, and that's when you're listening in the field. So that's more like an ethnographic piece of 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 work where you're bringing in absolutely new information and it's the information you bring in that informs the profound change that needs to occur in order to meet the aspirations of the client, whatever that or whoever that client is. So I think it's a profoundly powerful model. Um, and as a coach, I try and always use uh, levels two and level three so that I can bracket myself utterly and be fully present for, um, for my client. And listening at level four is called presencing when you are fully present um, and you're there completely clean for the purposes of, of the exercise. Okay. That sounds like an impossible thing to do because so rarely do we abandon our experiences, our biases, our expectations, our knowledge, and that's what level four would require. So I presume but, it's level two and level three that you got your client to do with the team for transformation purposes. That's right. For the first time, instead of telling them what to do, he was, he was consulting with them and asking them their opinion on how they think they might achieve their goals. So it's a very different tenor to the conversation. It's not an abdication. He's still responsible for setting direction um, and for, you know, highlighting the objectives that people need to, um, need to uh, achieve. Um, however, what he's doing is tapping into their expertise, their skill, their, their capacity to grow, their learning potential, and bringing that into the uh, equation, which make, makes it a very much richer experience for everybody. All right. So not only do I tap the information, the insight perspectives of the team, I get the team slightly more motivated because they feel enthusiastic about their own contribution. It's not just following orders. I now have some power to do something myself as a team member. And more importantly, team members have to end up feeling pretty valued in that because you stopped to hear my point of view. That's right. I think when somebody is valued enough to be consulted, it is very, um, you know, it gives you a very positive sense of validation. You've been heard, you've been seen, you've been witnessed, um, and you can see the fruits of your labor. You know, you may actually see some of your ideas being implemented and people's response to that. And it's, uh, you know, it's a tangible outcome from, from just listening differently yeah. or being listened just, to differently, I should say. 
Yeah, I think it's the hallmark for creating a genuinely inclusive culture and one that can tap the different perspectives of the team in order to get greater performance. I also have to say I was just today with someone who was describing um, a boss relationship that had been going on for seven years. And in that seven years, they had agreed on day one that they just had two very different styles and they didn't very much like each other. And it hasn't changed in seven years. Now, they're still working together. They're still being productive. But boy, would that have been a very different kind of environment had either of them been able to say, let me listen to understand where you're coming from, even though it might be quite different than mine. Fascinating, powerful stuff. All right, so I've been talking with Dina Michelli. We have been talking about managing emotions, your own emotions and your own stress levels. One of the interesting components about this is that vulnerability, that ability to not necessarily have all the answers or to be right all the time and to be able to tap other people's skills perspective is an incredibly powerful place for a leader. Part of what you do to show vulnerability is to genuinely listen. So to listen for the difference, which is to be curious about where someone else is coming from and ask questions, or to listen empathically and consult with them about what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they would like to do. And in that, you're showing vulnerability. And in drawing other people in, you're beginning to reduce your own levels of stress. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about emotional boundaries, which is really a bit of this missing link between resilience and stress. How do you define the space for you as a leader so that you don't get too far, too little without boundaries? We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Dina Michelli. Dina is a coach and facilitator who helps develop and deploy senior-level talent. She has written books and uh, done research on both stress 
and resilience in managing emotions. And we have been talking about the need to be able to manage your own emotions and your own stress levels as well as the team around you in order to be more productive. Now, we talked in the first segment about the tactics for managing your stress or helping your team manage their stress. And we talked in this last segment about this notion of vulnerability, the willingness to let other people have some of the answers, to not have to be perfect and 100% right, and the core skill about listening, how critical listening is to draw other people into the problem Therefore, increasing the resources against it and decreasing your stress levels. Okay, so Dana, you've done a lot of work, research, both in research and in practice on emotional boundaries. What do you mean by emotional boundaries? Right. Well, I think this is an interesting one because um, our emotions are um, signals. They're data that we use to interpret what's going on around us and how we want to respond to that. Um, And sometimes we're more sensitive to the data and we're more responsive emotionally and sometimes we guard our emotions and hold them in uh, perhaps to our detriment so um, emotional boundaries it's that membrane around ourselves that meters our emotional susceptibility okay so how does that work in practice so here i am leading a team yeah Go ahead. How does it work? How would I how would I use an emotional boundary? Okay. Well, I think sometimes um, it's appropriate to demonstrate more emotion than others. So um, you might need to bring your emotional boundary closer so that you're more um, contained. And sometimes you might want to let your emotional boundary move out so that you contain others within you, um, so to speak. So. Um, It works by allowing you to decide what's appropriate and when it's appropriate. And in order to do that, you have to have a very good understanding of your own emotional susceptibilities. Where are your trigger points? Where are your vulnerabilities? Where are your neuroses? Um, And if you understand yourself well, you can manage those emotional boundaries much more effectively. Okay, so explain how this works. Can you give me an example about this one, about identifying a trigger point and how that trigger point, how working with that trigger point helps me know how to manage my emotional boundaries? Okay, well, let's, um, let's imagine you're getting some feedback from your boss, and it's quite critical feedback. Um, and you might be, um, your boss might be uh, giving you feedback over something that you are quite vulnerable about, like maybe not. Um, completing a report on time or uh, not doing high-quality work. And so you might feel personally very invested in that. Um, And when your boss gives you that feedback, it would be um, less dignified to spill out all over the place. You might want to contain your emotions, um, listen to the feedback, and uh, take those comments away for um, to digest later. So in that sense, you would be managing your emotional boundary, even though inside you might feel like um, saying that's not fair or, or, or demonstrating some sort of distress. So in that situation, you, you know, you would be operating your emotional boundary to retain the appropriateness of your response. Okay, so I get the sense that I'm sitting with my boss. The boss is giving me feedback that's really quite sensitive area for me. I know I don't handle this particularly very well. I'm feeling very vulnerable. I get quite emotional about it. In that context, I want to stretch the emotional boundary 
um, I guess, bring it in so that I'm showing less of the emotion. But if I go to talk to my best friend or to a mentor, for example, I might be more comfortable really letting some of that emotion out. Is that what you mean by emotional boundaries? That's exactly right, because when you're in a safer space where there is less consequence for you displaying that level of emotion, then you're free to do that. Now, we all need uh, those emotional vents. We can't keep it locked up inside us all the time without doing some sort of psychological or physiological damage. So we do need those safe places where we can express our emotions. But beware the seductiveness of emotions. You know, we can get very caught up in our own stories. We can tap into our own dramas and we can raise our emotional stakes. And and really, that's just to make us feel like we're alive, perhaps. Um, So it it can be a little self-indulgent. So, you know, it's worth thinking about, is this appropriate for me? Is it appropriate for the situation? Uh, And that, that will help you determine where or not, where you put those emotional boundaries and how you operate around them. All right. So one, the the sequence here for managing the emotional boundaries is one is to be aware of my susceptible points, my vulnerable points, my trigger points. Where am I likely to get emotional? And then two is to make a call, a judgment. Is it acceptable for me to show emotion or less emotion, more or less? It's not that it's zero or 100% in this situation. Okay, now suppose I'm in a situation and I think, ooh, this isn't the time to show as so much emotion. How do I learn to contain it? Well, you might um, allow yourself to say to the person that you're controlling your emotions with, do you know what you've said has made me feel quite vulnerable or I'm feeling quite confused? If you don't mind, I'd like to take some time out to think about this. So you can actually name the emotion that you're feeling and then request time away so that you have an opportunity to really explore that, vent it, do whatever you need to do, um, and then come back again and, and, you know, pick up the conversation from there. So you are in control of how you respond to a situation. You don't have, um, you don't have to uh, respond according to other people's, um, you know, when they tweak your strings, you don't have to respond in, in, in the way that they want you to. You can actually say, no, I'm going to choose how I respond to this, and this is what I'm choosing to do. Okay, so I can still talk about the emotion. I can still name it. I can still identify it. I get like a one-sentence statement about it, and that, that makes it not like I'm trying to hide it or prevent it, and that gives me also the excuse to walk away. So to say I'm feeling vulnerable or I'm confused or this is a harder message to hear than I thought it would be or I need time to think about it and to walk away. Okay? That's absolutely right. Yes, exactly right. And I think that the, the problem with um, an unbridled expression of, of emotion is that it, it, it gets quite scary because it looks like you're out of control and perhaps you are out of control. And I remember when my son was very, very small. Um, if I was laughing, he would say, stop laughing, mummy. Um, and it was because it looked as if I was out of control and it, and it threatened his sense of safety. Um, so, you know, emotions can be quite worrying because you don't know where they're going to go. And then that threatens, uh, you know, the person that's witnessing it uh, may well feel threatened by that. 
threatened for their safety, perhaps, because they don't know what's going to happen next. So to be able to reassure people that you actually are feeling an emotion, you're quite human and you're likely to react in a, in a particular way, but you're managing it sensibly and uh, you're naming it and you're asking for the time to, to go away and think about it and maybe express it somewhere safely. Uh, I think that's a mature way of managing emotions. All right. I certainly find a lot of people within a corporate context who don't know how to deal with the emotion. So if you have a lot of it and you're showing a lot of it so the emotional boundary is very porous, it's threatening only because I don't know what to do. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. All right. Do you have any other techniques for managing the emotional boundary? Um, I think it's just a, a, a question of knowing yourself well. I think if you're uh, managing anything about your affect, it's because you know where your trigger points are. And um, for me, the whole area of uh, leadership development is um, about develop, developing self-awareness so that you know when you're listening, you know when you're um, listening from your own perspective or whether you're listening generously to somebody else's perspective. You know when you're emotional, what's going on for you, what's being triggered, why is it being triggered, how might you manage that differently. So one of the greatest tools you can have is self-knowledge. And then you can follow the trajectory of your own experiences and the triggers that are that are fired for you. Now, I presume in your experience, it's easier to help people understand their trigger points when they're talking with a professional. Um, do you have any advice if somebody wants to do this on their own? Well, I think uh, most of us have um, a trusted friend or um, a, a mentor or an advisor. Um, I think it's really worthwhile finding someone, someone that you uh, experience as being safe and having those conversations in confidential, private, secure environments. The other thing um, is perhaps to get physical. Um, I spoke to a lot of people um, in my own research uh, who ran, who went to the gym, who pursued their interests. They might be cyclists or mountaineers or uh, or they might have other interests that distract them. Um, and, and getting into um, your own body, your own interest is a very good way of understanding yourself better because it gives you, it compels you to, to enter that sort of more contemplative time. Um, so I would recommend physical activity, pursuing your interests, sharing your views with your friends and trusted um, colleagues, and, and, and really follow the path of self-awareness so that you do understand what's happening to you and you develop strategies for managing that. And everybody will have different strategies. Okay, fair enough. Now, just make the link between us. What's the link between resilience, stress, vulnerability, and emotional boundaries? I suppose they're all the same thing in the end in that they all require self-knowledge. Um, resilience is, um, I used to be an engineer and I, I often distinguish resilience um, by using an analogy between brittle and tough. If you hit something that's brittle, it shatters. If you hit something that's tough, uh, it reforms itself, it bounces back. So for me, resilience is not being brittle, it's being tough. And to be tough, you need to be uh, a little bit vulnerable and you need to understand your emotional susceptibilities. So I guess that's as much of a link I, as, I can, as I can pull out of the bag for now. That's a pretty good one. So to develop resilience, because what we want are people that can bounce back from setbacks when things don't go their way, they don't come unglued, they don't get chaotic and, you know, create a disaster. We want people who can reform, who can be tough as opposed to be broken. 
To be tough means I need to be able to show some vulnerability so that I'm drawing other people into the problem, and I need to be aware of my own trigger points so I don't act out in inappropriate ways, that I have tactics for managing my emotions. Sounds like a pretty good strategy to me. And so doing makes it less stressful, I'm presuming, as well. Yes, once you're under your own... um once you're under your own control, then, then you also um, manage your, your stress levels as well. Okay, fabulous. Dina, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. This is really insightful. I think the things that I take away from today that are most interesting to me is, one, that there are three ways of managing stress. One is to focus on the story that you tell yourself about how disastrous it is and to get that story back into perspective. Two is to look forward to a more pleasurable time when whatever it is that's stressing you out will indeed be over and that reminds you that this isn't the be-all and end-all, that there is something positive coming at the end. And three is to breathe deeply. And all of that is not to deny the reality of the difficult situation that you're in, but to focus more on the movement forward rather than just to stew in the immediate disaster, I guess is the simplest way to say it. The second thing that I take away from this that I think is so powerful is this notion of vulnerability and that by being able to not have all the answers, I draw other people in to help me. I do that by listening. I make them feel quite powerful, quite important, quite valued. And that generates creativity, and all of that creativity is going to help us get out of the situation. It reduces my stress because it's not all on me. And then this final part is this notion of being able to understand my trigger points, where it is that I'm likely to get overly emotional, and find simple tactics for drawing those boundaries, for creating space for myself, where it's okay to show the emotion and where I need to mention the emotion but not act it out. And in doing that, I make it easier for people around me to work with me. I make it easier to lead. Sounds easy, Dina. Thanks very much for being here. It's such a pleasure, Wanda. All right. Next week, we're going to talk with Adrian Furnham, and we're going to spend time talking about how do you work with some of the more difficult personalities, like people who are Machiavellian. What are your tactics for it? How do you approach it? And how do you manage the emotions around that particular person? Join us next week. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.